this morning, if you would, and turn to the book of John, John chapter 3, John chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 22 down through verse 30, John chapter 3, verses 22 through 30, let's all stand together, if your neighbor does not have a Bible, please allow them to look on with you. So that we can all look at God's word together. John chapter 3 and beginning in verse 22. It says, After these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized. And John also was baptizing in Enon uh, near to Salem because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized. By the way, if all he did was to sprinkle or to pour, uh, what would he have needed much water for? Well, he, di- he didn't. He baptized by immersion, because that's a picture of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Anyway, that was free. Okay, verse 24 says, uh, for, for John was not yet cast into prison. Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came un- unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except to be given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This, my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we ask God that you might guide and direct and bless as your word is brought forth this morning. Father, I am am not a worthy vessel to proclaim your word, but uh, God, you you have chosen me to do so. And uh, I thank you for that. I'm thankful, God, that you can use all of us in various capacities in spite of, of what and who we are because of what and who you are. And God, I pray this morning that Jesus Christ would be honored and Jesus Christ would be glorified through your word. I pray the Spirit of God would have freedom in this place and would be, be able to get in and to speak to hearts and for us to respond properly to you. We just ask, Lord, that you would do a work that only you can do, and we'll be careful to thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. I want to really uh, focus on that last verse that we read when John's disciples came to him. You could tell they were a little concerned, and you know they were saying, you know, he's taking He's t- basically, he's taking people away from your ministry, and uh, they're going to him instead. And his whole point was, look, that's the whole reason why I'm here. I am here to precede him, to announce uh, who is coming. And uh, he, he says, it's not about me, it's about Jesus. And he says that really in verse 30, where he just simply says, he must increase but i must decrease that right there is the the essence of the christian life that right there is the essence of true humility that right there is how god gets glorified and how god is exalted in our lives is if if uh, he increases and we decrease. And that's the type, really, I couldn't think of another title to the message than just what the, what the scripture says. He must increase, but I must decrease. Now, what he's saying is, is in order for God to be glorified, and, and the Lord Jesus was about to come on, on, on the, well, he came on the scene for his uh, for his earthly ministry, and the focus was no longer on John the Baptist. Before Christ uh, uh, entered into his ministry, the whole purpose of John's ministry was to prepare Israel for the coming of Jesus Christ. And so once he came, 
then John began to back off and go into the shadows, and he indicates that by verse 30 where he says, he must increase, but I must decrease. Now, these are two things that have to happen in order for God to be glorified, in order for God to be exalted in our lives. First of all, it says Jesus Christ must increase before it says, I must decrease. Now, I'll be real honest with you. Just from human thinking, I would think that, that that is a little bit backwards. Shouldn't it be, I must decrease and back off first, and then he must increase? But that isn't what it says. It says, he needs to increase first, and then I decrease. Why is that? Because the greater we see him, then the less we see of ourselves. And, and the more we see his greatness and the more we see his sinlessness and the more we see his perfection and the more we lift up in our own lives uh, the, the, the goodness and the purity of God, the, the, the easier it is really for us to decrease. Uh, this has got to come first. You've got to, you've got to, reckon, <laughs> you've got to reckon your flesh dead and you're not going to reckon your flesh dead as it says in Romans 6 uh, unless Jesus Christ is increasing in our lives. Death to self comes after we have exalted Jesus Christ. Keep your finger here and go with me over to Isaiah 6. Here's a similar situation that took place in the life of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6 And this is the passage that, uh, this is the chapter that contains the, the famous, famous answer to God's call that, that uh, uh, Isaiah gave, here am I, send, send me. But notice what happens prior to all of that. If you look with me in, uh, in verses 1 through 5, it says, In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting up upon a, a, a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his feet, and with twain he covered his feet, excuse me, with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory, and the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the, the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So Isaiah got a, a vision, he got a glimpse of the pureness and uh, the holiness of God. And after he saw how pure and how holy and how righteous God was, his immediate response was, Woe is me, for I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips. And that's how it works. Uh, we, we, we understand our own sinfulness the longer we gaze on the pur purity and the holiness of God. And so he has to be lifted up first. He has to increase. And then we can properly back off and we can properly decrease. You know, you can even, you can even apply this in our prayer life. One of the things I always try to do when, when, when I'm spending personal time in prayer is spend some time first in adoration. And again, the tendency is to first spend time in confession of sin, especially if there's something that's looming in your heart and mind. You think, man, you know, I, if, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And so I, I need to take care of that thing. But, but it's important, I believe, to first spend some time in adoration. Because when, you're, when your adoration is right, then your confession will be right. It won't be shallow. It'll, it'll, be, it, it'll be 
It'll be accurate. It'll be spot on. And that's what it was with Isaiah. I am a man of unclean lips. And, uh, and he, he said that the people have the same problem. And, and uh, you know, he, he abhorred his, his own flesh. And it's because he saw how pure and how righteous and how holy God was. Uh, and, you know, the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. As our heart lifts up Jesus Christ and as we exalt him, then we can see ourselves properly. So the first thing in order for God to be glorified is he has to increase. He has to increase in our personal lives. Then secondly, he, uh, we need to decrease. And, and uh, one of the greatest hindrances to our service for God is uh, our, our great concern about ourselves or our opinion about ourselves and what we think we deserve. And, you know, one of the things I think is healthy, it's just healthy, to constantly remind ourselves is what we really do deserve. I deserve to be in hell right now. I mean, right now. If I got what I deserved, I would be burning for eternity. Now, I don't say that lightly, but I'm so thankful that that's not the case. You know, yesterday, I celebrated my 52nd spiritual birthday. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been hard to believe it's been 52 years. Uh, boy, time flies when you're having fun. Amen. And uh, but there, there's just a lot that's taken place. And good friend of mine, Bob Hart, every every spiritual birthday, every 20th of February, uh, he either calls me or or texts me. And I determined yesterday I am going to text him before he texts me. And I says, he says, you know, I'm going to I'm going to get to that right after. And right after uh, <laughs> I was getting, I, I had done something. I looked out at my phone, and he'd already texted me. I says, "You stinker! You beat me to the punch again." But uh, he, uh, he he texted me and and uh, wished me a, a happy birthday. I did likewise uh, back to him. We both got saved February twentieth, nineteen sixty nine, one o'clock in the morning in the facilities of First Bible Baptist Church on uh, North Greece Road there in Greece. And uh, uh, boy, I look back and I see where I was headed. And now I look today and see where I am and see what I'm doing is totally different than the plans that I had back during that time. And I told Bob, I says, I says, boy, God has done some wonderful things over those years, hasn't he? And the, when he does those wonderful things, it's because he's been increased and we've been decreased. Um, I, I, I wonder how many of us, if we never again got a compliment, if we never again had our service for God in any way, shape, manner, or form uh, recognized, if we never again got another attaboy or girl, uh, I wonder if we would continue. You know, uh, John, John decided that he was just going to exalt Jesus Christ, that he was going to slip back into the shadows, and he didn't care whether he had a following. He didn't care whether or not he got complimented. He didn't care whether people were, were uh, with him or against him. He was just going to do right. And, he, and his whole purpose, you know, when we look at that, we say, well, yeah, that's, that's because... He was John the Baptist. He was the forerunner. That's what he was supposed to do. Yeah, and you know what? Now that Jesus Christ is gone, he's not on this earth, that's exactly what you and I are supposed to do. Same thing. He's supposed to increase in our lives, and we're supposed to, to decrease. When, when people, you know, I'm convinced of this. When people looked at, at John the Baptist, he, he was so humble, and he had his head down so low that they looked right over the top of him and they looked right at Jesus Christ. They saw Christ for what he was because the, uh, John the Baptist decreased uh, in, in his own opinion of himself. Go with me to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. In Matthew 11... Look down in verse 11. Matthew 11, 11. 
It says, Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now this is a man who, uh, his whole ministry was to lift up Christ and to be in the shadows and to decrease in focus uh, by the public. And, uh, and, and what, what uh, the Lord said about him, you talk about a compliment. He says, listen, there's, there's uh, no greater on earth than born of woman than John the Baptist. Uh, that's a tremendous compliment. But, but that compliment came because he humbled himself. That's, that's kind of the, and you find this all the way through Scripture, that's the indirect method that God uses over and over again. When you humble yourself, he'll do the exalting. Uh, when you exalt yourself, he'll do the humbling. And uh, because John the Baptist was, was such a humble man, God blessed him for it, and he was fulfilling the, uh, the, the ministry and the duty that God had given to him. Um, I, there was a missionary by the name of Hudson Taylor. Many of you are familiar with him. Hudson Taylor lived from 1832 to 1905, and he's the person who was in charge of starting the China Inland Mission. And he spent 51 years in China. If I'm not mistaken, and I did not check to make sure this was right, so if I'm wrong, please forgive me, but I believe it was seven years in China before he won his first convert to Christ. Um, you know, and I, I wonder if we sent someone to the mission field and it was seven years, or it was four years, five years, six years, and nobody's been saved yet, what would we say? What would we do? How would we respond to that? And I'm sure we'd, we'd look into it. But, but uh, you know, Hudson Taylor didn't care. He knew that's where God had called him. He knew that, that, uh, that that's where he needed to be. And from that sprung the China Inland Mission, and that was around for years. In fact, it may even still be in existence. I'm sure it's not in the same form that it was back then. But he saw, he made such, a, such an impact on China for Christ. There's a, here's a little glimpse of his life. A Presbyterian minister uh, in uh, Melbourne, Australia, introduced Hudson Taylor by using a whole bunch of superlatives, especially the word great. He says he was a great man. He was a great preacher. And Taylor stepped to the pulpit and quietly said, Dear friends, I am the little servant of an illustrious master. You know, you know what he was saying? He was saying, don't increase me. I need to decrease. And Jesus Christ needs to increase. He, he must increase that I must decrease. Well, what needs to take place in our lives in order for us to see that fulfilled? What are some things that are, are necessary for us to realize in order for that to happen? And I believe John the Baptist really understood and believed all these things. And this is why he was able to, you know, it's not just an accolade. It's not just a, it's not just a phrase. It's not just a trite comment that he made when he said, uh, I, uh, you know, uh, Christ must increase and I must decrease. He really meant it from, from his heart. He saw that as being his ministry. And, and I want us to, to just take a look this morning at some of, the, some of the things that a person needs to realize and to understand before you can make that a reality in your life. First of all, go, go back to, to John chapter 3 and look with me down at verse 27. John 3 and verse 27. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing except to be given him from heaven. First thing you need to understand is that everything that you have, everything you are, everything you've done is because of God. And it comes from God. And, and if it wasn't for God, you wouldn't have what you have. If it wasn't for God, you would not have been able to accomplish what you've accomplished. Go with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 
And this, this concept is reiterated over and over again in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 4, and down in verses 1 through 7, says, Let a man account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And that's how Paul looked at himself. He didn't look at himself as owning things. He looked at himself as, as being a steward over things and managing the things for God. Verse 3, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self, for I know nothing by myself. Yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that ye might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? In other words, everything that you have, you have because God allowed you to have it. Uh, let's face it, folks. You're taking breaths right now, and you're taking breaths right now because God is allowing you to breathe the air. And if he wanted you to stop breathing his air, he could stop you just like that. He could stop me just like that. And we need to understand that everything we have comes from God. And it, when you understand that, it, it becomes a very humbling thing. Go with me over to, to uh, Romans chapter 12. You know, everything we have comes from God, and, and when a person trusts Christ as Savior, the Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. A person understands they're a sinner on their way to hell. They understand that, that they're in dire need. And, and you know, 52 two years ago, when I trusted Christ as Savior, um, I understood something. I understood if I didn't get saved, I was going to go to hell. <laughs> and that was a dire need, okay? And I knew that I could not fulfill that. I, I could not rescue myself from it. Uh, and, and that's where a person needs to get to. They need to get to the point where they realize, I am a sinner on my way to hell, and I can't do a thing about it. There's, there's no ritual I can go through. There's no work I can do. I cannot blot out my own sin. And that's the bottom line. You can't. You can't blot out your own sin. You ever have a, you ever have a, a, a stain on clothing? I, I did this just recently. I, I went to put my pen in, my, in a white, of course, it's always a white shirt. You ever notice that's never a dark one. It's always a white one. I went to put it in and I forgot to put the cap on, it was on the other end of the pen, and I went like that. Well, when you do that, of course, it goes right straight across here, makes a nice little racing stripe, and all the way down there. And uh, then I, I, I forgot it was there, and, uh, and, and I mean, I didn't realize it, and, and I pulled it out, and oh, man, the cap's, the cap's off. I looked down, it's all bleeding all through here, you know, the spot. And uh, you try to get it out yourself. Have you ever noticed that oftentimes when you try to get a spot out yourself that it ends up being worse than it was before you got started? And, uh, you know, and, and I, I, I got frustrated. I took it to the cleaner. Well, as it, as it stands, the cleaner couldn't even take, it, take out the spot. Uh, it was just in there so, so well. But that's what our sin is like. It's in, there, it's in there so deep. There's nothing you can do to get rid of it. But there is somebody who can take care of that sin. There's only one somebody that can take care of and that's Lord Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, can cleanse us from all sin. And, and He does that when we, when we trust Him as Savior, we cry out to Him for mercy. And that's, that's exactly what we need to do. When we do that, 
we, we get his grace. We don't deserve his grace. It says, for by grace are you saved through faith. You don't deserve his grace. It's not something you get because you're such a wonderful person. It's something you get because you're such a wretch and because you're such a sinner and because you're so wicked. You've got to have that grace because grace is undeserved. And in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, we're reminded of that, where he says in verse 3, right after, you know, the, and we, we spoke of this in Sunday school this morning, Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brother, mother, mercies of God, that present your bodies a living sacrifice. And then you go to verse 2, be not conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you go to verse, excuse me, verse 2. Then you go down to verse 3, and he says this, for I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. In other words, in fact, Paul said this. He said, I am what I am by the grace of God. He didn't take credit for himself. He gave that credit to God. And so the first thing that we need to do is we need to, to uh, realize that everything that we have comes from God. Take your Bibles and go back to John again and go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Look down. <clears throat> I said John 1. Yeah, yeah. Verses 35 through 37. John 1, 35 says, again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, behold, the Lamb of God. And the, the two disciples heard him speak and, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following and saith unto them, what seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? And he said, and then come, come and see. Uh, but uh, John's, John's followers, when they saw Jesus, they stopped following him and they started following the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he lost followers. He, he actually decreased in followers. But that didn't bother John because he understood that any, anything that he had, he had of God. And uh, his attitude, although you never hear him say this out of his lips, but you can tell what his attitude was, is the same as Job's. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, I got this ministry from God, and now if God wants to take them for Jesus Christ, then I understand that. That was my purpose. That's fine. So he had this understanding that everything comes from God. Here's another thing he understood. Look in, in, in John 3 and look in verses 28 and 29. 28 and 29 says, Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice, this is my, this my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. He understood that the, the attention of others should be on Jesus Christ and not on him. The attention of others ought to be on Jesus Christ and not on us. Don't be concerned when people don't recognize what you've done, when people don't compliment you for who you are. Uh, understand, if you've got the right, right aspect of the thing, you don't care. You just don't care because you want them to focus on Jesus. You want them to see Jesus Christ. Three of our, our sons have, have been married, uh, Joel and then and Jared and Jason, and in that order. And uh, all three of those, those weddings, I noticed something. I noticed that there were very finely dressed groomsmen that just you know really really were dressed very very nicely but you know what i noticed hardly anybody looked at the groomsmen there were some ladies there and they're called bridesmaids and those bridesmaids were boy i mean they were dressed to the teeth and they just looked pretty and beautiful but hardly anybody looked at the bridesmaids 
uh, there were decorations that someone had, had worked probably into the night and, and put all over the, the, the sanctuary of the church and, and took care of, made sure everything was just right. And yet, people really weren't spending time looking at them. You know what they, you know what they looked at? They looked at the bride and the groom. And uh, particularly when the, uh, my favorite part of the wedding, uh, of any wedding, <laughs> is always when the bride comes down. And, uh, and then the, the groom joins the bride, and then they say their vows and, and so forth. But all the attention is, is up there. John understood, the attention doesn't need to be on me. All I am is the decorator. All I am is the, is the groomsman. All I am is the guy that cleans the, the church before the, uh, before the ceremony takes place. Uh, I don't want them to pay attention to me. I want them to pay attention to him. And uh, they, he, he, wanted, he wanted the, the uh, attention to be on Jesus Christ. In our lives, uh, our desire ought to be that people see Christ in us and that they don't spend time looking at us, but they spend time looking at Jesus and their attention is brought to him. Another thing that, that uh, is an attitude that I believe that John had, go to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew 11. I say an attitude, it was really something that, that took place because uh, John was decreasing. And, and we need to understand that this, this, this happens sometimes. Matthew chapter 11, and uh, look with me over in verses 2 and 3. Verse 2 says, Now when John had heard in the, in the prison the works of Christ, he had been sent to prison for his ministry, for what he was doing, and uh, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? I don't know about you, but that's always kind of made me scratch my head a little bit. You know, here's John the Baptist. He's a forerunner of Jesus Christ. He knows what his job is. He's, he's uh, you know, he's baptized him and, and so forth. He's, uh, Christ is out performing his ministry. Now he's thrown into jail. And while he's, while he's in jail, he sends out a couple of disciples to make sure that this is the right one. Uh, when, when you decrease after he has increased, it may cause some confusion because there, is, there are some things that are involved in the process of decreasing. And one of the things that's involved in the process of decreasing is trouble. And trouble can cause us to be confused. Trouble can cause us to get a little disoriented at times. You know, I, I, I've watched over the years good, good folks. I mean, folks that love the Lord, folks that have served God for years, and something comes and just, just hits them across a broadside. And, uh, you know, they don't, they don't respond as you'd expect them to respond. And they might say some things that they, it was a little bit out of character, and on and on it goes. Well, one of the things you got to understand is that when God is in the process of decreasing you, there's going to come some problems and some troubles that are going to cause you to be feeble-minded. The Bible talks about the fact that there are, uh, there are those that are uh, you know, unruly, are feeble-minded and weak, and we're given, we're given appropriate responses to each of those categories. Well, a feeble-minded person is someone who oftentimes is, pressure has come on his life, trouble and difficulty has come on his or her life. And, uh, and, and they're just at that particular time not thinking straight. But listen, when you're serious about decreasing, God will help you get there. Uh, you should ask God from time to time. Say, Lord, uh, help me decrease so you can increase uh, even more in my life. Now, I realize the increasing in our mind has to come first, 
uh, with God. But, but we need to be conscious of the fact that we need to constantly be going into the shadows and constantly backing off so that, so that people can clearly see Jesus Christ in us. And, and when, you're, when you're serious about decreasing, God will bring things. And what I've found, it's true in my life, and I've seen it in the lives of so many people here in this church over and over and over again, where, where God has brought some difficulties, and it'll come in different forms, it'll come in different shapes and sizes, but, uh, but it, it will come. You know, from, from an outsider's standpoint, when you see that kind of thing, what, what did Jesus do when those two disciples came and, and uh, said, are you the one that we were waiting for, or should we look for another? You know, honestly, uh, from a fleshly standpoint, I look at that thing and he sh I think he should have said, oh, really? Really? After, after seeing the miracles and after seeing all that I've done, really you question who I am? But Jesus didn't do that at all. You know what he did? He was very kind. And that was when, you know, he made the comment about there's, there's no man greater born of woman than John the Baptist. Uh, what did he understand? He understood that John the Baptist was a little bit on the confused side. There's going to be some times when in the process of exalting Christ and, and decreasing yourself, that stuff's got to come and knock you for an absolute loop. Understand that confusing times will come. Um, you know, I uh, want to... God, God has allowed me to have friends and acquaintances with some, as far as I'm concerned, some, some of God's finest servants on earth. And I remember the very first time uh, I met a fellow we've had in here a couple of times, Kirby Campbell. And uh, our son Jonathan found out about him. And said, Dad, uh, I, you know, he wanted, he wanted to meet him. He'd heard him preach and so forth. And he had... He had been a pastor, and he had an orthoscopy on his knee that went bad. Well, the orthoscopy didn't go bad, but the, the uh, uh, yeah, what do you call it? The knockout drops, <laughs> the stuff that they gave him, anesthesia. The anesthesia went bad, and uh, he ended up having tremendous pain in his legs, and they couldn't, they couldn't get rid of it. And if you remember Brother Campbell when he was here the very first time, in fact, first very first time I met him, I was talking to him. I was in one pew, and he was a couple of pews over, and he was doing this. You know, he was doing this kind of thing with his with his legs. And he, he wasn't doing that because he was nervous. He was doing that because the pain was so bad. And he was he was talking to me, and I just heard him preach like like that where he was he was wiggling his his uh, legs uh, constantly and uh, this is a guy that loved god i mean this isn't a guy that got you know that got chastised and punished and whipped by god because he was out of the will of god he was in the middle of doing what god wanted him to do understand that when you look to be decreased that uh, there could be some difficult times right now right as we speak a man that has been called to preach can't speak. And you know who that is, Sam Gipp. Pray for him. Pray for him. That's got to be, that's going to be, you know, that's not, that's not the time to give Brother Gipp a call or text him and say, I got this cure for laryngitis. Okay, it really isn't. Uh, you know, I don't think he would take to that very well. Uh, you know what he needs? He needs some understanding. He needs, he needs the, kind of, the kind of treatment that Jesus gave to John the Baptist. And uh, uh, Jesus stood up for him in his weakened state. Again, look at that, at that same chapter, chapter 11. Look down at verse 11. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. He stood up for him. He stood up for him. Another, another attitude that we need to have, that we need to understand, and that is, is that decreasing means a willingness to do right no matter what the cost. Take your Bibles and turn to Mark 6. 
Mark chapter 6. And look in verses 14 through 18. Mark 6, 14 through 18. Mark 6, 14 says, And King Herod heard of him, for his name was spread abroad. And he said that John the Baptist was risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. Others said that it is Elias, and others said that it, that it is a prophet or is one of the prophets. But when Herod heard thereof, he said, It is John, whom I have beheaded, for he is risen from the dead. For Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John and bound him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. For John had said unto Herod, It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. Um, John the Baptist was willing to, to, to do what God wanted him to do. And in the process, he did some decreasing, but in the process, he all, all, also paid a tremendous price for that. John wasn't self-conscious. He was Christ-conscious. He wanted to make sure that Jesus Christ and his righteousness and, and was, was exalted. And he had, wanted to make sure that he had a right conscience before God and before others and did what he was told to do. Um, you know, I, I am convinced, especially with seeing events that have taken place in the last year, that the day of, of low-cost discipleship in America is over. It's over. Uh, you know, we've maybe gotten an easy ride uh, up until recently, but I think the easy rides are about to go out the window. Uh, more and more people are targeting Christianity. The more and more people are going against people for what they believe. And they're not always Christian beliefs, but if, if it's against the standard quo, then you can't say it, you get kicked off social media, etc., etc., etc. Let me just ask you this. Do you have the attitude that I don't care what it costs me, I'm going to do right? I mean, I'm looking at some folks, honestly, that within the next one to three years, you could lose your job because of Jesus Christ. Could happen. I hope it doesn't. You don't lose it because of your bad attitude. Don't do that. But you could lose it or taken a proper stand for Christ with a proper attitude. And uh, it's very, very important that we understand that if you're going to be willing to decrease, you might have to pay a price for it. Be willing to pay that price. And, and of course, John was willing to do that. And the last thing is, is that decreasing involved paying a price and, and being put into obscurity. In other words, uh, he was put in jail and then he was beheaded. I mean, you realize that it was John the Baptist's literal head on a literal platter that was uh, given to, uh, to uh, Herodias, Herod's wife, uh, because she ordered it that way. Well, let's face it, uh, when that happens, your ministry's over. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's just done. And yet, he was willing to go to that extent if Jesus Christ would be exalted. Are you willing to pay a price to serve God even if there's no tangible results? Are you willing to do what God would have you to do? You know, I know, I know people that have witnessed to a group of people or a family, maybe it's their family, uh, maybe it's folks that they work with or whatever, and they've done it year after year after year. And I mean faithful. I mean, I mean true. I mean, uh, uh, you know, confrontational. And I don't mean that in a nasty way. I just mean they confronted them with Jesus Christ and never saw one single one of them ever saved. And many of those same people are still witnessing today and are still continuing to be a testimony for Jesus Christ today. That's the kind of attitude we have to have. That's the attitude that allows, that causes God to increase and causes us to decrease. There's a fella that uh, 
in history by the name of William Borden. William Borden was, uh, was the heir, and I'm going to read you a thing about it here in just a minute, but you, if, you, if you've been around for very long at all, you know Borden, Borden Dairy, Borden Milk, uh, Elsie the Cow. I really date myself when I say that. But, uh, you know, Elsie the Cow. And, and uh, it, it, you know, the, the family that he came out of was a multi-million dollar family. And, uh, and he was the rightful heir. Well, this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it because I can read it better than I can just articulate it to you. But I, I think this really, this really illustrates what, what the scripture says when, when John said, he must increase, but I must decrease. In 1904, William Borden graduated from uh, a Chicago high school as heir to the Borden Dairy Estate. He was already a millionaire as a kid. Uh, for, for his high school graduation present, his parents gave 16-year-old uh, Borden, notice he graduated at 16, he was smart too, uh, gave him a trip around the world. As the young man traveled through Asia, the Middle East, and Europe, he felt a growing burden for the world's hurting people. Finally, Bill Borden wrote home about his desire to be a missionary. One friend expressed surprise that he was quote, throwing himself away as a missionary. In response, Bill wrote two words in the back of his Bible. No reserves. No reserves. Even though young Borden was wealthy, he arrived on the campus of Yale University in 1905, trying to look just like one more freshman. Very quickly, however, Borden's classmates noticed something unusual about him, and it wasn't his money. One of them wrote, he came to college far ahead spiritually of any of us. He had already given his heart and full surrender to Christ and had already done it. Who, who, we who were his classmates learned to look on him and find in him a strength that was just solid as a rock just because of this settled purpose and his consecration. During his college years, Bill Borden made one entry in his personal journal that defined what his classmates were seeing in him. That entry said simply, say no to self and yes to Jesus every time. Then it goes on a little bit later in the article and says that Borden's missionary call uh, narrowed to the narrowed to the Muslim Kansu people in China. And once that goal was in sight, Borden never wavered. He also inspired his classmates to consider missionary service. One of them said, he certainly was one of the strongest characters I have ever known, and he put backbone into the rest of us at college. There was real iron in him, and I always felt he was, one of, he was of the stuff martyrs were made of and heroic missionaries of modern times. Although he was a millionaire, Bill seemed to realize always that he must be about his father's business and not wasting time in the pursuit of amusement. Although Borden refused to join a fraternity, he did more with his classmates in his senior year than ever before. He presided over the huge student missionary conference held at Yale and served as president of the Honor Society Phi Beta Kappa. Upon graduation from Yale, Borden turned down some high-paying job offers. In his Bible, he wrote two more words, no retreats. William Borden went on to graduate uh, on to graduate work in Princeton Seminary in New Jersey. When he finished his studies in Princeton, he sailed to China because he was hoping to work with the Muslims there. And he, he stopped first in Egypt to study Arabic. While there, he contracted spinal meningitis. Within a month, 25-year-old William Borden was dead. When William, Borden, William Whiting Borden's death was cabled back to the U.S., the story was carried by nearly every American newspaper. A wave of sorrow went around the world. Borden not only gave away his wealth, but himself. 
in a way so joyous and natural that it seemed a privilege rather than a sacrifice, wrote Mary Taylor in her, in her introduction to his biography. Was Borden's untimely death a waste? Not in God's plan. Prior to his death, Borden had written two more words in his Bible. Underneath the words where he wrote no reserves and then no retreats, he had written no regrets. No regrets. The rest of the story is, is that as a result of him going over there and as a result of him dying seemingly prematurely, there literally were afterwards hundreds of young people that surrendered to go as missionaries and eventually did go as missionaries on the foreign field. He accomplished more in his life than most people do in their death. Why? Because he had, he had a goal. His goal was that Jesus Christ would increase and that he must decrease. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, I pray that you would help us to see the importance of lifting up the Lord Jesus Christ in everything we say and everything we do, to realize how important you are and how unimportant, really, every single one of us is. And Lord, as we lift you up and increase you, we have to decrease ourselves. We have to be, we have to be familiar with the shadows. We have to be comfortable there. Uh, our, our concern and our desire ought to be to please you and to honor you and to glorify you more than anything else. God, speak to our hearts and help us to be honest with you this morning. Is that my attitude? Is my attitude, Jesus Christ is first and he needs to be exalted. And I'm not second, I'm at the bottom of the barrel and I need to be decreased. Lord, there may be someone within the sound of my voice this morning that has never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. Now, Christ increasing and them decreasing isn't even an issue yet. The issue is salvation. The issue is that they need to realize they're a sinner on their way to hell and repent of their sin and cry out to you for mercy and trust your blood to cleanse them from all sin because nothing else can remove that stain. We pray, Father, that, that you would do a work in this invitation, whether it be here at the church or whether it be in someone's home, wherever they might be watching or listening to this message. We pray, Father, that you would, you would have your will and your way in our lives right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together.